good to be back with family. Can I just tell you, I love your church more. I really do. I just feel like I'm with family. And I leaned over to Nadine and I said, this is the most spirit-filled, fun worship service I've been in in two years. Uh, Your church, your church. And it says a lot about your leaders, your pastors. Can I tell you something? I travel, I speak, I coach ministry and marketplace leaders for a living. It's been the toughest season to be a pastor in my lifetime. I just turned 50 years old. To pa- Did you guys know we've been through a pandemic? <laughs> and politics and racial tensions. Do you guys know about all this? And it's been impossible to please everybody. Can I get a witness? And, and, and many pastors have tried to navigate all of those landmines and try to make everybody happy, which is impossible. Jesus couldn't do that. And yet I've watched your pastors do that with great grace and with great integrity in that process. And they will get angry at me for doing this, but I would love to give you the opportunity, the church, to say thank you to Jesus for your pastors today. Can you do that? All of you. All of you. Well, um, I bring you greetings from Alabama. The most controversial thing I'll say is roll tide. Don't be a hater all your life, okay? I pray for the root of bitterness in your life. That he'll redeem you from that. Um, And uh, I'm just glad to be with you guys today. I I come representing my A-team, my family. We've grown since the last time I was with you. I brought a pic from this summer from Yosemite. That's my dad to my left. You can tell that. Um, The older we get, we look like our parents. It's awful, isn't it? You know? And... um, It was his 80th birthday wish to go to Yosemite National Park. Took him there this summer. I took our whole family. My daughter's gotten married. That's my my son-in-law kneeling right there, who doesn't deserve her, by the way. And they're now expecting, and I'm going to be a papaw in three weeks. Three weeks, I'll be a papaw. And my, my daughter, Madison, is on the end there in the peach little blouse or whatever it is, their skirt. And she, she betrayed our family and went off to Auburn this fall. <laughs> Pray for her. Um, but she's doing great. And my son is 17. He's a junior at Hewitt Trustful High School. And all my kids love the Lord. Amen. And my dad texted me this morning early to say he was praying for me, you know, before daylight. I'm a successful man, telling you what. And I'm blessed. And, um, you know, the Bible says, what does it profit if he gains the whole world, lose his soul, or lose his family? And uh, I just bring you honors today. And I'm going to be talking a lot about the family. I'm going to be talking about the relationships today. I'm really going to be talking about how to have drama-free relationships. Who's interested? Okay. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but people have lost their minds on Facebook. Have you guys noticed this? Is this true in Mississippi? People have lost their minds. And people don't know how to do this. And it's not being taught anywhere. Like how to do conflict 
God's way. That's really what I'm going to be talking about. Who's interested? 30 of you? Okay. Um, speaking of drama, like I'm, I'm a big fan of like sitcoms over the years. Any sitcom fans? What's your favorite sitcom? I thought about mine, okay? I can go way back in time. I'll date myself. I grew up watching reruns of Andy Griffith. Any Andy Griffith fans? Still love, still, still love Barney today. Um, Happy Days was another favorite one. I used to watch every afternoon when I'd come home from school. Used to have a great time watching Richie Cunningham and all his crushes and all of that stuff. Joni and Chachi, you remember those? And then Friends, any Friends fans in the house? It was one of my favorites. And then The Office, any fans of The Office out there? They've been on Amazon Prime and Netflix. My kids have gotten into The Office um, at, home, at home these days. I thought about my favorite sitcom from this past year. Any Disney Plus subscribers in the house? There's like 100 million of us, I think, or something like that, you know. Marvel's WandaVision, anybody seen that? Had a great time. It's kind of a fun, it, it's, it's a situational comedy thrown in, and it's kind of clean and safe for the family, I'm, and I'm not a paid endorser. Uh, but, it, but, but, it's, but, but what I love about sitcoms, and in general, these 30-minute kind of dramas and series that are put out there that we binge on today, is most of the relational tensions are solved in about 30, 60 minutes or even 30 minutes or less, Right? <laughs> But it's not like that in my family. Is it like that in yours or in my relationships? I told you guys the last time I was with you, my wife and I don't argue. It's more spiritual than that. We call it intense fellowship. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it begins very intense. And if I do it right, it ends in fellowship. And the rest is none of your business. <laughs> Anybody taking the Myers-Briggs personality profile? So my wife and I have the exact same personality profile. Her, her college psychology professor, when she said, I want you to take home a test, you take it, take it home to your significant other. And so when we were dating, she brings home this test, and we took it together in college. She took it back to her college professor, and she said, you should never marry this guy. <laughs> and here we are, 28 years later, <laughs> rocking and rolling for Jesus, you know, and love her more than ever. But we've argued our way all the way down the stretch. To, to, get, to get to this point. And the truth is, I don't care how spiritual you are. I don't care how much you love Jesus. Maybe you're new to this whole thing today, and you're thinking, man, i got a guest speaker on my first day at Northwood. I, honestly, I probably preach better than Pastor Jordan does anyway. But, <laughs> but I'm telling you, it doesn't matter how spiritual you are, how long you've been a pastor, whether you're not a pastor, conflict is inevitable going to pop up in your relationships. Right? Let's not be pious, Okay? We have conflict in our homes. We have conflict at work. In fact, it can create anxiety trying to stay away from conflict because it's everywhere. It's everywhere. And we need to know how to do it. And when we don't resolve conflict God's way, guess what we get? Drama. Drama at home, drama with the kids, drama in our marriages, drama in our community, drama at work, drama at school, drama on Facebook. Drama in our nation, in our world. We live in a society today that, that, that tends to think that if I disagree with you, I have to hate you. I have to call you down. I have to act cray-cray. My kids hate it when I say that, but I think I'm cool by saying it. And people are going cray-cray, are they not? And so I hope you'll, you know, you, you never got permission to do this. Pull out your smartphone and some notes, a journal, something. If God speaks to you today, you might want to write that down. 
But I really believe I'm going to unveil kind of a process today that you can walk through a lot of it out of the Beatitudes and other places in the Gospels where Jesus teaches us. Jesus never promised as a Christ follower we wouldn't have conflict. He just said the way we resolve it would be different. When I was a pastor, Pastor Casey, you'll love this. And I, I would teach our membership class. And I would say, welcome to our church. We're going to hurt your feelings. <laughs> right? Welcome to human relationships. But I watch people even in the church. Like the first time something little offends them, we do this on Facebook. We've gotten used to it on Facebook. You just click a button. You unfriend them. Preacher offends me. Somebody rubs me the wrong way in my small group. Just go to another church. Then you get over there, you realize the grass is greener on the other side, but there's a septic tank over there in Mississippi, <laughs> right? Everywhere you go, there are imperfect people. And if you're looking for a perfect church at Northwood, it got imperfect when you walked in the door, all right? We're all imperfect, okay? And conflict is a part of human relationships. But here's the key, and you ought to write this down. Conflict is inevitable, but drama is a choice. It's how we respond to the relational tensions in our life that's so important. And believe it or not, woven through the Beatitudes, you guys have been studying, and many other places in Scripture, God reveals His plan for drama and conflict. And Jesus teaches us that our response is just as important as the offense. Our response is just as important as the offense. And Jesus seems to echo this over and over and over again. And I'm not going to go deep into any of them. I just want you to see the thread. Anyone who would ever say that God's word is not relevant to 2021 has never read Matthew chapter 5. Because the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, Matthew 5 and 6, Matthew 18, so relevant for this cray-cray world that we're living in today. For example, Matthew chapter 5 verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons and daughters of God. Jesus says, first of all, peace is not something that just magically happens in marriage, at work, at home, at school. Someone's got to be a peacemaker. And Jesus is not going to just do it for us. And there's a big difference between being a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. Peacekeepers will do everything they can to just keep the peace, just try to keep everybody happy, just avoid conflict at all costs, just sweep it under the rug. Let's don't argue. Let's don't, let's don't have tension. Let, let, let's keep everything calm. That's a peacekeeper, okay? But a peacemaker is willing to stare that conflict right in the face and walk through that tunnel of chaos and have the courageous conversations they need to have. You take most church environments. Pastor, I've talked to Pastor Jordan about this privately. Helped him have courageous conversations. Make courageous decisions as a pastor. Sometimes unpopular decisions. To me, it's real simple. Why churches stop growing? It's real, I can boil it down to one thing. They choose to. They choose not to have the courageous conversations they need to have. They choose not to make the courageous decisions they need to make to move forward. John Maxwell, New York Times best-selling author and leadership expert, former pastor, he said, the reason why most churches aren't growing is we've got ushers that can't ush. <laughs> and Susie's that can't sing. 
but no one will tell them. And so we kind of walk around, walking on eggshells around each other, avoiding conflict. When G- what Jesus wants us to do is have the conversation, to talk to each other as Christian brothers and sisters and work through these things together. My wife and I um, have been to licensed professional marriage counseling a couple of times over the years. Year seven was a difficult year for us. It was the third year of our church plant, Pastor Jordan, and it was, it, was, it was growing really rapidly, but it was really tough on our marriage. We'd been through a lot, and you've heard of the seven-year itch. We didn't have that, but we wanted the seven-year murder. We were both thinking about that. <laughs> and so we went to, I was a pastor. I went to licensed professional Christian counselor. I'll never forget one of the things the counselor told me that day. He said, Sean, stop arguing intention. He said, it doesn't really matter what you meant. What matters is what was received. That was worth the price of admission right there. Agree with that? But I remember, I remember leaving that, that first marriage counseling session back. This was over 20 years ago. I remember going back, and, and, and t- I t- Trisha and I went out to eat afterwards, Kentucky Fried Chicken, because she deserves the best. <laughs> and we sat down, and we were just we were eating our chicken, and we were unpacking this whole thing. And the whole time, I really believe the Holy Spirit did this for me. I began to observe this couple, probably in their late 70s, having dinner together. And they were facing each other, but they weren't talking to each other. And they sat there for 30 or 45 minutes while Trisha and I were there arguing intense fellowship. And I remember, like, they're not talking to each other. Like, they're still married, but somewhere along the line, they quit. And... The, the institution is still alive, but the, but the, mayor, the, the intimacy is not there. And I remember thinking that night, man, if we have to fight all our way down the stretch, I don't want that. I, I want my intimacy and friendship with my wife to grow. And yes, we fought our way down the, the line, but I'm telling you, we've resolved a bunch of things along the line. And we don't fight about a bunch of stupid stuff. We, oh, we still fight about stupid stuff. But a lot of stupid stuff we used to fight about, we don't fight about because we've worked through it. And I'm telling you, I'm for more godly conflict today. In your home, at work, in, at church, we've got to do this God's way. Churches don't split because of another church down the street or a cult. They split from the inside out. Because we're not faithful to do the gospel and live it out in our relationships. And we learned the hard way over time, but in a good way. The opposite of conflict is not peace. It's artificial harmony. And I don't want you to have artificial harmony in your marriage with your children, with your parents, with your team at work, with your friends. In this church, I want you to be able to walk right through it and have conflict God's way. So I want to talk about how to build a drama-free culture, how to build drama-free relationships. And I'm going to give you five steps. You ought to write these down. You ought to type these in somewhere. And before you go cray-cray on somebody, work mentally through this list, all right? Let's go back to Matthew 5, verse 9. I want you to see something else. He says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons and daughters of God. See, the first key to resolving conflict in our lives in a healthy way is it requires an understanding that you and I are sons and daughters of God. Pastor Casey referenced it earlier. We are children of our Heavenly Father. And we live for an audience of one. 
And the one person we look to please, over-pleasing people, is him. So when, when, it's not if you're going to be presented with a relational tension or conflict. When someone new would join our team over the years, Pastor Jordan, I would tell them, say, hey, welcome to our team, I'm going to hurt your feelings. It's not if I'm going to frustrate you, it's how and when, how often. But how we handle it will be really, really, really important to have a healthy team. And years later, we help companies and churches like build a healthy culture, a drama-free culture with the principles that I'm going to teach you today. But he says it begins with understanding that you are children of God. As sons and daughters of God, we think differently about conflict. The first question we ask is, how do I respond to this in such a way that it honors God? If the response is just as important as the offense, the first thing I've got to do is number, step number one, look up. Look up. Father, I'm hurt. I'm wounded. I'm frustrated. There's tension. How do I respond to this in such a way? I don't react. I respond. There's a really, really, really crucial difference. How do I respond in such a way that pleases my Heavenly Father? I played a tight end in high school football. I'm sure it's obvious. I was an athlete. <laughs> and uh, I was the meanest 165-pound tight end you've ever seen. And uh, I started my sophomore year, my first year, going out for the athletic team. The co head coach came to me. We got a new head coach. We were 0-10 the year before. We got a new head coach. He was a Vietnam veteran. He was a little bit crazy, but, but he came in with like a new slogan, the pride is back, and he was recruiting guys to be on the team. He said, Sean, I want you to go out for the varsity team. You're quick. You can do this. week before the season starts, he comes to me and says, Sean, you're going to start at tight end. The day before the first game of my high school career, he comes and says, Sean, that first play we've been running in practice, the halfback pass, we're gonna, that's going to be designed for you. I don't know if you know what a halfback pass is, but a halfback pass is where the quarterback pitches back to the halfback or the tailback. He acts like he's going to run with the ball, and he stops and plants. It's a trick play, and he throws the ball. He said, that's going to be the first play. So, man, we lined up. We said the Lord's Prayer in the end zone that night. We ran through the paper with uh, Phil Collins in the air tonight. There were chills in the air, <laughs> fog over the stadium. It was beautiful. Man, we were ready. We were going we to storm hell with a water gun. We, we won the toss. We took the ball. Sure enough, man, we lined up 20-yard line, down, set hut. They pitch back to Joy Black. He tucks that ball so beautifully. He stops plants. Everybody's caving in on him. Just as I make my cut, he hits me in stride, and I never look back. No man would catch me. 78 yards in the end zone. Now, remember, we had been deplorable the year before. It was awful, 0 and 10. The pride is back. We were dancing. We were crying in the end zone. I think there was champagne somewhere in the air. I mean, it was ridiculous, you know. And then, then we lined up for the extra point. They blocked the extra point, and we got beat 45 to 6. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, it's still painful. We went 2 and 8 that year. But what I remember about that night, my mother had been diagnosed with cancer. And um, she passed away when I was 16 on her 40th birthday, cancer. She was homesick. She had really hoped to feel like to be able to get to the game that night. Couldn't come. My dad left her in her hospital bed in, in her home 
and came to the game that night. And I remember scoring that touchdown, looking back up at the stands, and everybody was going nuts, proud, whatever. But I remember scanning the stadium. I was looking for one person, my dad, my best friend. And there's something about knowing you make your dad proud. Hearing your dad say, I love you, I'm proud of you. And you may have not have come from a situation where you had a healthy dad, told you he was proud of you and he loved you. I have had that privilege. But even if you haven't, I'm telling you, you have a heavenly father that's proud of you. And he wants to be proud of you. And he wants to pour out his blessing and favor on you. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they will be called the sons and daughters of God. You're his child. And it can give you new motivation to respond to conflict God's way by saying, Father, first, look up. How do I respond in a way that pleases you? Does that help anybody besides me? That's almost worth the price of your mission today, okay? When we talk about, we work with leadership teams at work, we have a kind of a paradigm we call the gears of growth. I think they've got an image of that to show you, yeah. We talk about the gears of growth when we work with ministry and marketplace leaders, culture, team, and systems. But when we talk about culture and we talk about leaders having a healthy culture, the truth is you have to model the kind of culture you want to build. You reproduce what you are as a disciple. But it's true at work, it's true at home. So we have to be the culture we want to build. So if you're a leader in your home, you have influence. If you're a leader at work, you have influence. And you live with this reality and this awareness that people are watching you and you set the tone you set the culture my wife and I when we got married we didn't know how to resolve conflict we did not know how to do this and um, her she came from a real dysfunctional family didn't go to church the whole time she was growing up just a lot of brokenness and hurt and all of that going on in my family my dad was like a Baptist deacon and and they, 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 they didn't want the kids to see them argue. So every time my parents would start to have conflict, they would like, oh, oh, oh um, we got to go uh, work on the budget or something. And they would like go back behind closed doors and fight. So I thought, good Christian man, that if you, if you had, con- you know, wasn't supposed to have conflict in their relationships. So when Trisha and I are dating, like we would go to have conflict. Oh, no, I don't, I don't want to argue about it. That's not godly. And so I would just, I, I would be over at her apartment or something. I'd just get in my car and leave. And then the next day, I act like nothing ever happened. And she's still mad as Hades <laughs> about the whole thing. And I just, I would just, we were sweeping things under the rug and not dealing with stuff. And then she would kind of, she, she, she would sweep things under the rug and it would just come out and it's like World War Four, you know. So, so we get married, we go on a cruise for a honeymoon, it's awesome. We're literally standing in the, in the hallway of our new home the week after the honeymoon. And she starts sinning toward me. At least that's how I, you know, reminisce in my mind. We start, you know, getting it, the tension starts escalating. And by the way, man, psychologically, physiologically, okay, they say once a lady's uh, heart rate gets over 85, it's over. <laughs> Ration, there's no more rationale. It's emotional at that point, okay? So I, I'm not this, don't, don't beat the messenger, okay? You're not going to win, okay? So, and I knew this, but at the same time, like, I, I, didn't, I wasn't doing it healthy either. And so I said, oh, I don't want to argue about it. I'm going home. 
And so I walked out, door, screen door, remember the screen door hitting, got to my car and realized, wait a minute, I am home. <laughs> I can't go back to dad's house. He's not going to take me back. Because he said, remember, Sean, when you say I do, you did. <laughs> he told me that the night of our wedding. So that was haunting me. So I was like, I got to go back in this house. <laughs> and I went back in there and we're like, okay. And we start learning how to have peace, to make peace. And if you want to walk with God, you want to be a person of God, you want to make a big difference in your life, fight and work and learn how to be a peacekeeper. We set some ground rules over time. Here's some of ours. We never threaten each other. We never threaten to leave. We never call each other names. Can I get a hallelujah? And we never, ever, ever compare the other one to the person's parents. Can I get a witness? That never goes well. Never goes well. And we begin to set some ground rules for how we do this. And I can tell you, we've been in a relationship for 30 years now. I'm closer, more intimate, have a better friendship with my wife than I've ever had. Have a better relationship with my children than I've ever had. And it's not because I'm holier than anybody else here. It's because we've decided to fight for it. We decided to fight for it. I want to honor God in our relationships. And remember when we're in conflict, you never gain a point. You never gain anything by proving your point. It doesn't matter if you're right. We can be right and not righteous. So our question is, Lord, as we look up, how can I respond righteously? In a way that honors and pleases you. So look up. Everybody say, look up. Number two, go first. Go first. And the other ones won't take this long. Don't worry. Jesus' way of resolving conflicts, not waiting on the other party to come crawling back and groveling on their knees. Or even to say, I'm sorry. And conflict's not resolved by sticking our head in the sand. We've got to be proactive. We've got to go first. Jesus is so serious about this. Later on after the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, verse 23, he says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, if you're at a worship service and you're preparing to encounter God and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, not that you have something against them, he takes the more serious path. If you remember they have something against you, I want you to stop what you're doing. Leave your gift in front of the altar. Leave church. Don't do that yet. Wait till I'm done. <laughs> Leave your gift in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. And then come and offer your gift. So a couple things Jesus is saying here. Hey, first of all, don't say you're right with me when you're not right here. Because if you're not right here, it affects right here. And I'm going to prove it to you as we go through, through the message. So that's one. Secondly, he says, listen, it's very, very important. Your horizontal relationships are just as important as your vertical relationships. When Jesus was asked what the most important commandment in the Bible was, he couldn't give one. What did he say? Love God with all your heart. Blah, 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 blah. A second's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. We literally demonstrate our love for God by how we love and serve other people. And he says, listen, 
if there's a tension, when there's a tension between you and another person, don't wait. By the way, it always gets worse. It always gets worse. I tell pastors all the time, if you hear a little yada yada, something going on in your church, Jesus and Paul said, a little bit of yeast works its way to the whole batch of dough. It'll only get worse over time. Be proactive. Let's go, let's go, let's sit down and talk about this. Let's go, I'm never too busy to, to work through a relational tension. Because it's important, it's very important to God. So important to God, he said, don't even let worship get in the way of that. It's really, really important. Go to the person. And by the way, you do so privately. You don't get a gang with torches and big Bibles that zip and go to their house and, you know, all of that. They're always going to respond better privately. Would you agree? Not feel ganged up on. Why, why, why do we have such a hard time with this? I think it's the enemy. How many of you ever seen, not, don't want to admit it, uh, an episode of Jerry Springer? Jerry Springer show. It's like the first kind of crazy reality talk show. And I don't know that I ever watched a whole episode, but every time I seem to flip by, it's like they were throwing chairs and taking their shirts off for some reason. <laughs> Just crazy. And I literally think sometimes when I'm, when I'm thinking about approaching somebody, let's say Nadine and I have attention, and I'm thinking about going, in, I'm literally picturing, picturing like, like, like an episode of Jerry Springer. <laughs> throwing chairs, you know, craziness and all of that. And I think the enemy makes us afraid of the whole environment and keeps us from doing what God wants us to do. But he says, no, 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 you go first. That's your, that's your responsibility. You go first. We get caught up so many times in how another person is going to respond, and we let that control how we respond. But it's really important you understand today in conflict from Jesus' perspective. Their response is not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to be a peacemaker. To do everything you can to try to make peace in the relationship. It's not always possible, but you're to do everything you can. And go first. Go first. Everybody say go first. Go first. You don't wait. You demonstrate more spiritual maturity by going first. That's what God has done for us. Step number three, be honest. Be honest. Be honest. The Gospels tell us, John chapter 1, when... When Jesus came on the scene, he was full of grace and truth. He was full of grace and truth. Now, the challenge with so many of us is that we lean more one or the other. Some of us are more naturally gracers. We're soft-spoken. Who are my introverts in the house? Raise their hands for them. <laughs> you know, don't, don't want to cause a problem. Don't want to you know, have a hard time speaking up. And I just be over here and just like in the dark. And, you know, and so there's gracers, like kind of... A, will we'll avoid any kind of relational tension. But remember what I said, the opposite of conflict is not peace. It's artificial harmony. So gracers, you need to speak up. You need to stretch that muscle to speak the truth and say what needs to be said and share when you're wounded and frustrated and all that. Then you got on the other end, a lot of us are more naturally truthers. Now I'm a truther. So shock, right? So we just like, we're going to say what needs to be said, and if you need counseling for that, so be it. <laughs> just quote a verse, and you get right or get left. Okay? Who are my truthers? Who are my truthers? Yeah, okay. All right, so gracers need to speak up. Truthers, you need to shut up. <laughs> Seriously. Okay? 
And you, you're, you need to know your words, Proverbs warns us about the danger. And James warns us about the danger of our words. Can I tell you I've hurt my children with my words? I've hurt my wife with my words. I've hurt my staff with my words. Oh, I was right. <laughs> but I wasn't righteous. And so when I'm getting ready to go talk to Nadine in a relational tension, I'm going to say, baby, here's what I need. I've got to go talk to Nadine about this. Here's what I'm thinking of saying. And Trisha's going to say, whatever you do, don't say it like that. <laughs> but, but, but godly conflict means we speak to each other, not about each other. We speak to each other, not about each other. Casey knows this. I've taught this to your team. This is why your pastors roll these days. I made a commitment to my pastors over the years that work for me. Hey, I'll, I'm never going to go home and say something to my spouse about you that I'm not willing to say to you. That'll mess with you. If you think about it, it lacks integrity. When you go, hey, Casey, what's up? Love you, man. And then go over here to Jordan. Can you believe that's so and so? Any of that, has that happened in any of your workplaces? Yeah, it's toxic. It's toxic. And it'll split relationships apart. So we, Casey and I might have more conflict, but we're going to talk to each other as brothers. We're going to work it out together. And we're going to understand each other and love each other more on the backside. Isn't that true? Because we've worked through these things together. Am I helping you guys? Look what Jesus says, Matthew 18. If another believer sins against you, go privately. And point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you've won that person back. You're literally trying to help that person. But if you're unsuccessful, sometimes they don't respond perfectly. Take one or two others with you. Go back again. So that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Talk to, bring some spiritual leaders into the circle. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision... And respond correctly. Treat that person as a pagan or corrupt tax collector. That's the truth part. Like, I want you guys to hold each other accountable in the church to practice conflict God's way. You can be a light to our world by doing this God's way. Do you see this? And it's important to Jesus that we do it this way in the church and in Christian relationships. Be honest, but balance truth with grace. Say, be honest. Number four, stay humble. Step four, stay humble. Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. New Living Translation says, God blesses those who are humble for they will inherit the old earth. First of all, two of the most credibility building words, statements you can ever make, words you can say is, I'm sorry. Just stretch that muscle right now. Look at the person next to you. Look at them right in the eyes, both of you, and just say, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I was wrong. Hey, by the way, they already know you've messed up. They already know it. They just wonder if you have the emotional intelligence to recognize it and the humility to admit it. And some of you guys need to go to lunch today and at lunch say, hey guys, sorry. I've been harsh lately. I've been this lately. I've been freezing everybody out in the house lately. I've been passive aggressive. I've been sarcastic. I've been angry. I'm sorry. And everybody goes, thank God she recognizes it. <laughs> You'll get credibility. If you've blown it with your team at work, go in tomorrow. Tr check me on this. Hey, guys, sorry. I've been a little 
short, short fuse lately. You'll go, thank God he knows it. You'll get credibility, all right? Second of all, let people know when you approach them about an offense that you believe the best about them. Don't go in finger-pointing accusations. Go in humbly. Hey, I'm sure you didn't mean it this way. Hey, I'm sure it wasn't your intention. Hey, you know I love you, but you sort of begin with that preposition rather than accusation. And, and let them know, hey, I, I believe the best about you, and I'm, I'm sure it wasn't intentional and, and all of that, but when you did this, it, it, it hurt. And I owe it to you to tell you about it. And 99 out of 100 times, they're going to say, I had no idea. Now, they may be lying, but at least they know you know that you recognize it, and they know what their actions are doing and that it's received. And oftentimes, we don't mean it. They don't mean it, do they? They just need to know, and we help them. We win that person back. We help them. So I've learned when my wife comes to me about a blind spot, I'm arguing with her in my head. Does anybody else do this? She's wrong, right? In my head, in the moment. But I, the, 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 the worst thing you can do when somebody approaches you about a blind spot in your life is be defensive. If you're defensive, you shut down your best opportunity to get better. And to grow in your relationship. So I've learned with my wife just to say, thank you for coming to me. Let me process that. You ought to practice that. Just say it with me. Thank you for coming to me. Let me process that. Because I, I, I want to applaud her coming to me. I'd rather her come to me than somebody else. Same with my children. Same with my coworkers. I want to know. I want to applaud that. And I don't want to react. I want to respond. I want to, I want to be humble. I want to stay humble. Everybody say, stay humble. Number five, step number five, love mercy. Love mercy. Micah 6, 8 from the Old Testament. He has shown you, O mortal, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? Check this out. Act justly, which means righteously, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Literally three of the five steps are mentioned in that one verse. Here's what God requires of you. And they all have to do with what? The way we work in relationship with other people. But God doesn't just require mercy from us. He modeled mercy and grace for us. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, before we acknowledged it, before we recognized it, before we apologized it for us, he didn't ask us to meet him 50-50. He came 100% of the way to us, to you, to me. He laid his life down to make the relationship right. And so he has moral authority to expect it from you and from me. Hey, I'm just asking you to do what I've done for you. I'm not asking you to love mercy because they deserve it, but because you don't. And I can't tell you what it's done to apply the gospel to my marriage and to my relationships with my children and my parents and my coworkers. And there have been many, many times I thought, ah, they don't deserve that. And then God says to me, but you don't either. You didn't either. And I loved mercy. And I displayed it on you. And, and God sends me back to the meeting table. It helps me take divorce off the table. In every relationship in my life. 
and come back, go back in that hallway just like I did the first week out of honeymoon and work on the relationship to make it right. And then he says, Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. The word blessed, you guys have been studying this, what does it mean? Happy. He's like, literally, I'm telling you the way you're set free from all this relational baggage and bondage in your life. You're going to be happier. You're going to be more at peace with yourself and with other people if you'll live this way. So I hope you've been following the logic of all of this. This is not like a sequence, a cyclical sequence. It's really circular emotion. We've got a, a graphic to show you this. So I, I start looking up. I go first. I be honest. I stay humble. I love mercy. And that causes me to look up again. God, I love mercy because you love mercy. Because you love me, the unlovable, the unforgivable. And I can't for one minute accept the lavishness of your grace and mercy and then withhold it from somebody from my past. So I forgive because you've forgiven. I love mercy because you've loved mercy. And I look up. And I go first. <laughs> and I be honest. And I stay humble. And I love mercy. And I look up. <laughs> and this is something you'll never get done doing. But Jesus has modeled it. It's something he never quits doing either. And if you're sitting out there today and you think to yourself, I've blown it. Welcome to the human race. Welcome to Northwood Church, the imperfect church. Because that's where we roll. But Jesus died for imperfect people. And that, my friend, is good news. Amen? It's good news. It's good news. Maybe you're here today and you've never, you've never heard Christianity explained this way. Christianity is not being a good person. It's not having a conflict-free life. It's about accepting His mercy and His grace over your life. Maybe you need to do that today. Maybe you need to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've not been doing this your way. I'm coming back to your way. Maybe you need to resolve to have some courageous conversations today, tomorrow, this week. What does that look like for you? Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who love mercy, for they will obtain mercy in our relationships. That's good news, is it not?